Hi, my name's Lou, and today I'm going to be reading the internet for you. Why? Well, why not? And today's what will be a revisiting to a forum that we have already read that goes by the name of Opiophile. Now, Opiophile, if you remember, and if you don't, is a forum where people who are fond of opiates of all manner can get together and discuss them. It is a vibrant community of users and former users who get together to sort of share their common knowledge about the drugs they love. Now, it's not just only about opiates. It is mainly about opiates. There are other drugs discussed, marijuana, amphetamines, research chemicals, everything is discussed and all ostensibly in the name of uh, community and harm reduction. It's not a marketplace for drugs. It's nothing like that. It's just a place where people who have the common interest of doing opiates can get together and share their collective knowledge. Now, that doesn't mean that outsiders won't find it entertaining to hear them discuss these things so frankly so that is what we'll be reading this week so we'll jump right into the forums of opiophile if you hear the occasional crash during this episode is because i'm recording during the day with the window open and this is new york and there's always some sort of cacophony outside the window today scaffolding is being put up outside my apartment so let's jump right in to the forums of opiophile.com yeah this post can be found in the opiophile forum, subforum opiates slash opioids, subforum heroin, subforum the scene, in a thread started by Fleece entitled, A Guide to Scoring in the Tenderloin. Tenderloin being a neighborhood in San Francisco. And it goes like this. A Guide to Scoring in the Tenderloin. I cut my teeth scoring in the tenderloin, and after a year of steady using, I thought it time to offer some advice. There is an older thread that has a lot of the same info, but I thought it wouldn't hurt to start a more organized and updated thread. This guide is oriented towards heroin, but most of the advice is relevant for pills as well. 1. The word in the tenderloin is chiva, quote-unquote H or quote-unquote hot work too, but are rarely used as they can easily be confused with quote-unquote hard brackets crack. Quote-unquote chiva is the way to go. 2. Drugs are sold open air all over the tenderloin, but most blocks are flooded with C. There is a very specific area that is designated for H and OCs, and it is not difficult to find. To get on the right track, offer a cigarette to the first person who asks, and odds are they will point you to the right place. Offering a local a couple of bucks to help you score works too, but this is also a great way to get ripped off. 3. There is about a block and a half radius where you can find farms and H, but there is one specific corner that is basically the center of the action and almost always has H. This corner does not necessarily have the best quality, brackets, and it always changes, but this is the most consistent spot. 4. Most of the dope dealers are black, but I have bought from just about every demographic imaginable, besides kids. Oddly enough, I don't think I have ever dealt with anyone under 25, and most dealers are much older than that. Never judge your dope by the dealer. 5. After a year of scoring in the tenderloin, I have not been able to discern any firm system to the way dope is sold there. Everything is open air and no one uses phones. There is sometimes crews, but I would say that the majority of dealers more or less operate on their own. Quote unquote, free for all is really the best way to describe this scene. I have at times been flocked by more than half a dozen dealers at once. Since everything is sold in such a compact area, there is really not much in the way of territory besides maybe that one corner. But even that seems to change hands day to day. Week to week, certainly month to month. 
6. I have had the best luck scoring on weekdays in the late afternoon, brackets as of December 2009 at least. Recently, the cops started invoking a law that allows heavy sentences for dealers operating within a certain distance of schools that are in session. Brackets, the H market is, unfortunately, within the radius of three different schools. There was a huge wave of sting operations, and as a result, dealing during the day has dropped off significantly. In the summer months, there is a rush hour in the morning, generally before 10, but this is also drastically decreased since school started at least for now, brackets now again being December 2009. There's always been generally more heat on weekends, but you can certainly still score if you need to, especially in the AM. 7. You are going to get ripped off, at least once in a while. I have been sold asphalt, licorice, woolite, shreds of black garbage bags, etc. To minimize the risk, go during peak hours and buy from women when possible. I have been ripped off by basically every demographic, in every area of the market, but I have never been ripped off by a woman. Brackets, I assume this is because they are more vulnerable to retaliation, but who knows really. Obviously, the ideal thing to do is buy from familiar faces, but familiar faces are few and far between, and even they rarely have the same dope twice. Again, you are going to get ripped off, especially when you are fresh. Don't beat yourself up about it. In the tenderloin, it happens to everyone. 8. H is generally sold as dimes, 20s, or grams. A gram almost always costs $40, although the concept of what a gram is varies radically. Sometimes you will get four dimes, sometimes two 20s, sometimes a single bag, and never the same amount. Depending on how hot it is, you can ask to check it out first, but I rarely give more than a cursory look over, basically to make sure that it is indeed Chiva, brackets, since the quality is impossible to distinguish by sight. You never really know what kind of deal you got until you shoot it. As mentioned, you can safely assume that a gram is $40 unless the dealer lets you know otherwise. Occasionally, you will get grams for less, brackets $35, but rarely more. The few times that I have paid $50 for a gram, I was not disappointed. 9. Always be very clear that you are looking for Chiva and not pills. Because OCs are sold in the same area as Chiva, and some dealers carry both. It is always best to ask for a gram rather than a quote-unquote 40, even after you think you've established that you are looking for heroin. I cannot tell you how many times dealers have mistakenly tried to give me OC40s instead of Chiva. 10. Chiva is never labeled and rarely even packaged in a distinguishable manner. Usually, it will just be tied up within a clear, thin plastic. There is sometimes consistency in the quality of tar from week to week or month to month, but not really. And there is always multiple strains out at the same time. The dope is most commonly cut with sugar and sometimes coffee. I have very rarely needed to heat it. 11. A sort of cool thing about San Francisco is that it is basically always appropriate to be wearing a sweatshirt. This is what I do when I go to score. Because the tenderloin is adjacent to the financial district, it is really hard to look out of place. But I've always sort of dressed down as much as possible so as not to throw off the dealers. I'd have to say that what you're wearing probably counts less in the tenderloin than most places, though. If the market is busy enough, it counts for nothing. 12. As far as the heat goes... The best advice I can really give is to keep your ears open and trust your instincts. After a bit, you will get a sense of when things are off, and in most cases, the dealers and slash or the locals will explicitly warn you. Don't linger around in one spot looking for a familiar connect, and as far as directions go, always trust the dealer. As with any open-air deal, have your cash ready, hand off with your palm up, pop to your mouth, and leave immediately. I hope that people find this helpful. I'm sure there are folks with better experience than myself. Please do add or correct as you see fit. And Erica adds, Wow, Fleece, great post. Best first thread slash post ever. Why slash why? I was still on prescribed meds when I lived in the Bay Area. Buying OC80s for $65, brackets, ugh, from bratty 19-year-olds in the burbs. 
way too inexperienced and scared to ever cop in the tenderloin. If I only could have read this back then. Great advice either way, though. I still haven't copped in open air, but I try to find out as much as I can about doing it since I know that day will come. Again, thanks for taking the time to share this. And fresh pow ads. Swim read this and decided to go for it. He woke up around 9 and drove to the city of SF. Swim is a white guy in college. He looks Mexican and people confuse him for this all the time. Swim ends up in SF around 10 and parks and heads to the Tenderloin. The first thing he sees is a guy walking in front of him, asks something, brackets Swim couldn't hear, something quick and then walk off after a quick quote-unquote man hug. The guy then has $20 in his hand that wasn't there before. This made Swim realize this must be the right spot. Swim was wearing a hoodie with the name of his college on it, so he assumed it was really obvious why he was walking around the TL. Pretty soon, some black lady, brackets, definitely a hoe, ask him what he wants and if he'll help her out. Swim replies heroin and she says, yeah, yeah, I'll help you. It was too easy and super quick for Swim. She walks with him for about three blocks while she's talking nonsense about her methadone and some other bullshit. She brings me to some corner and basically says out loud, hey, this kid here wants to buy some hey Ron. Help this five asterisks out. Haha, ha. some other girl hooks it up right there. From parking to paying, it was less than 10 minutes. The H was 40 a gram, just like Fleece said. Not really a gram in an unmarked plastic bag of shit. The dealer gives Swim her number and tells Swim to call for delivery. The chick who brought me there then asks for some money. Swim hands her $4 and the crazy bitch says, Fuck that shit, give me $20. Swim tells her to go fuck herself and the dealer chick backs him up. He starts walking away and the crazy bitch follows him. She's yelling, I'm going to call the cops. That kid got Hey Ron on him. Now everyone on the block is staring at Swim. Swim thinks he's fucked by either the cops or the eight or so dealers glaring at Swim. They walk towards him and he's freaking out. One guy gets there first and tells Swim, quote unquote, yo, fuck that bitch. You go get what you need and walk out. Three asterisks. I got your back. So Swim walks back to his car, that crazy bitch keeps following, and other people come up to Swim and tell him to ignore her. It was pretty surreal. This one guy walks with Swim to his car to, quote-unquote, make sure that chick doesn't get at me, even though he said she wouldn't do anything. It seemed like they knew this girl and that she was nuts. When they get to Swim's car, they guy, brackets, obviously, asked for some cash, and being a good mood, Swim gave him a bit. Swim was way too nice that day. They all knew this girl and that she was nuts. Anyway, to recap, the whole copying and finding was way easy. Thanks, Fleece, for just getting the inspiration. Haha, <laughs> the TL is a fucking jungle. The H is about a 5 or a 6. Nothing special, but I got the job done. And Fleece replies, at Fresh Pow. That is fantastic. You scored on your first time around. Good work, man. Sorry you got hustled so hard in the process. There are whole supplemental volumes that can be written about the side games that revolve around the scene and how best to deal with the locals. Everyone in that neighborhood is working some kind of hustle, either directly or indirectly involved in the main game. I'm pretty surprised slash impressed that you were given a number your first time in. I've never been offered a working number by a credible TL dealer before. Not even the ones I'm familiar with. Brackets, although scammers will often offer one. At the same time, though, with all the undercover bus going on recently, I have sort of been expecting the game to evolve in some way. But I have to say, I'd be really surprised if anyone handing their number out is around for long. If that number works more than once, I'd say you probably ran into one of the more professional dealers in the TL. It sounds like you got on just fine. But the other advice I would offer would be to avoid the hoodie with your school's name on it. Just remember that there are always eyes on you in the tenderloin, so it's best to be as anonymous as possible if you know what I mean. Again, well done and I hope your next trip goes even better. BTW, as you discovered, prostitutes will often have dope or pills for sale. And if not, they definitely know who does. And Thanatos writes, Watch out for them ghosts. For Asterix is where it's at. 
Taste the dope before you pay. $20 grams are everywhere if they know you ain't a bitch. Tell them you want dimes, four for 30. Get your rocks from the Hondurans, though. The blacks use too much soda. Soda rock sucks for speedballs. Space toilet near the cop shop is a good fix spot. Union Square or Chinatown, space toilet better. The one at UN Plaza is a total bust, or so I've heard. And chopsticks ads, ah, the great white ghosts. Ruin your day real quick. I almost died in the space toilet in Union Square. She was right. The dope was good. And Thanatos replies, White Ghost got me seven times this year, and I'm impressed the dope was good chops. When they say it is, it usually isn't. There's one dude we'll call him Lewis and his girl that had these ten dimes off of McAllister. Not the gummy stuff, but light brown and dusty. A dime fucking rocked me, and I was shooting grams of the other. Glad I only had 20 bucks, because a gram of that would have killed me, maybe. Gram shots, what? Now the crack from the Hondos was always on point. I quit going to the blacks for that. Oh my god, okay. And Dramamine replies, Last time I was in SF, brackets, a month ago, word among the junkie street kids was that the heat was turned way, way up in the TL for buyers and sellers alike. They said it was because of the new police chief, and the Chronicle seems to confirm this. And Thanatos replies, No joke there. I was a TL denizen when that shit started. Was in SF County with all the Hyde Street boys, hot as fuck, and pray you don't get Judge Little. Her daughter died of an OD in the TL. I got a diff judge. Four felony possession counts knocked down to a health code violation. They don't really want the buyers, but they will bust you. Keep your dope in your mouth always and swallow if an unmarked pulls up near you. They come out of nowhere, slam you into the wall, and put their fingers down your throat. Don't swallow it, they say. Yeah, right. I had dope to puke up, and every time I got popped, Rigs are hard to get in SF County Jail, though. Until you hit mainline on the sixth floor, that is. If you cop and use in the TL, get used to the fact that you're going to see the inside of 850 Bryant. E-Pod sucks, but after 72 hours, you hit the mainline jail. Sixth floor and time in there is as smooth as jail gets. Trade PBJ for cookies. Breakfast trays are worth 15 milligrams of morphine, usually, or two Percocet. If you go in with a gut full of crack, though, you will run that place. Crack buys anything in SF County Jail. And Thanatos writes again, Never seen nothing like the crack hose of the TL. Words just can't paint the picture. You ain't seen him in person, you'd think it was only in the movies, and movies even fall short of the reality. Quote unquote, I'll suck your dick for a hit or three dollars. Never accept a three dollar blowjob. Obviously, right? In the space toilet right across from the TL cop shop, I was inside fixing and knock on the door. Dude and this girl want to come in, so I let him in. She starts giving him head, and after he takes a hit of crack, wait, <laughs> She starts giving him head after he takes a hit of crack, and while she's sucking him off, he starts hitting her in the face, blows his load on her face, now bleeding, and throws a loose dime's worth of rocks on the floor. She doesn't even wipe her face before she's trying to dig her crack out of the grooves in the floor. Sick as shit I never even dreamed of is the daily grind in the TL. And Trackstar0420 writes, I have only read page one, but fuck yeah. I was just out in SF right after Thanksgiving. Flew in there on the way to South Lake Tahoe for a snowboarding trip just to hit hate in the TL. I got a couple of friends living on the streets around hate and was hoping to catch some of them, but no luck there. The TL never lets down, though. Brackets, I guess not true. Stopped in late Sunday night before a flight home early the next day and was told the block is hot. So dipped out and went home to have my lovely lady waiting at the airport with the stash. Only ever scored OCs there, and luckily the homie stayed in the hotel around the corner from the OC block. So we knew where to start and where in and out with the quickness. 
Prices are at a steady 50 cents slash milligram, but when there is competition, you can get 80s for 35 to 20. I love the TL. There's an amazing amount of diversity running through that area. From beautiful women, street people, business, junkies, college kids, scenesters, and you will only really get hassled by the police or the dealers if they're looking for dope. The police station was literally a block away, and these guys are doing deals. The guy crawling around the middle of street until finally a dealer and a guy wearing something similar to an EMT uniform both happened upon the guy at the same time from separate sides of the street. They picked him up, walked him over to the sidewalk, and went on their way, all in the middle of the day. The TL is a district that should be emulated in cities worldwide. And Chemical Boy writes, What are these white ghosts you're referring to? I am guessing it is the local LE. Why the name? What significance? As far as being prevented from swallowing by a surprise chokehold, I make dealers walk to a place where I can see around a bit if I am doing open air. I just say sometimes, quote unquote, let's walk a bit, I will follow you. And usually, they know why and seem to feel the same way. I then do the deal where I can be sure no one is right around me and I will tell them, quote unquote, not here if they try to hand off somewhere where I don't like. No one seems to mind the caution and if anyone did, I would find someone else without a second thought. Beyond that line of precautions, I also park my car in an area so that when I'm walking back to it, I I will either be able to see the shadows cast by the sun if the time of the day is right, or so that the car and the windows and glass storefronts will be oriented in such a way I can see myself and what is behind me in the reflection. So either I will see a shadow rushing me in a few seconds in advance, or I will see someone in a reflection rushing me, and I casually but consciously do not let people into my little circle radius. I figure the extra caution takes no effort whatsoever <laughs> and could save me from a felony. While there is risk, this gives me a chance to swallow if things get iffy. That is one thing I love about the Intermountain West open-air markets. Things come in balloons and can be easily swallowed. Oh, I also keep the goods in my mouth and ready on the back of my tongue to be swallowed and usually carry a drink with me when I do this just to make sure I have the best possible chance of getting away. Also, even if I am sick, I never bring my works to the copping area, even in my car. If I am sick and can't wait, I drop the works off in a predetermined bathroom at a gas station or fast food joint before copping. Then I head right there to get well. And Opio Freak writes, Pretty sure they were referring to undercover Popo in reference to the white ghosts. And Chemical Boy replies, makes good sense. I guess that leads me to the real question on my mind. Where did that name originate? Ghost is obvious, I guess, but why white? And Thanatos writes, the colors are for the different cars. Warrant Patrol, brackets, Dep Folger, is a white unmarked. The by bus team generally drives gray ghosts. Assorted county bus bitches in blue ghosts. The name TL is said to refer to the pay for working the district. Brackets, officers could afford tenderloin, slash, or, or that it is the tender, quote-unquote, seamy underbelly of the city. That's about it. And Chopsticks adds, What's funny about the police station is that it didn't used to be there. Eddie and Jones used to be in a prime area. Now, with the cop shop there, it sort of slowed things down. But like TTO said, the space toilet across the street is a 24-7 crack hole. People still fix and smoke crack out in the open and within sight of the cop shop. That place is off the fucking hook. Truly a case of there just isn't enough cops to deal with it and there never will be. When I was running around there, they did stings on Tuesdays and Thursdays like clockwork and everyone knew it. So instead of just going to the corner, you just had to find people on the move. Sucked when you were sick, but at least you knew the cops were out. I didn't know the ghosts were color coded. I'm not sure it's always been like that. I left the TL as a daily thing in 98 and things have changed. But I first heard about the great white ghost when I was living in an SLE in San Mateo. They were notorious and they are sneaky motherfuckers. Between them and the bikes, you really got to watch your back. I only got jacked once behind a car at night and he let me go 
go, but several times I'd be walking down the street and see like four bike cops booking down Eddie, slam on the brakes, jump off the bikes, and slam some random. Very surprised crack dealer down on the ground. Same with the ghosts too. Come out of nowhere. Jump out and people are face down the asphalt before you can blink. Those cops are quick. Off the hook. Someone should run dope fiend tours through the TL for tourists who can hang. Show people around, check out the fat Hispanic transvestites and the crack hoes and shit. Smoke a rock, cop an OC, and drop them off on the pier. I've seen lots of ghettos, but nothing quite like the TL, which includes a lot of death, blood, human feces, human self-loathing, more hope-to-die addicts and prostitutes concentrated in a few city blocks than I'd previously imagined possible. Nothing like that place I've ever fucking seen. And that thread goes on for... A total of 32 pages and is still being updated today from its original posting in 2009. Also, if you were confused by an earlier post in the thread who is using the term swim, please recall that swim stands for someone who isn't me and is used by people who are telling stories about themselves doing drugs or crimes in a way that is believed to make it seem as if that they are not really self-incriminating, or at least that's what they believe. Many forums that used to use swim regularly no longer do so because... I think it's been proven that uh, in many cases you can't really take what people write on the internet as fact, as in the case of the cannibal cop, a previous discussion topic on this podcast. Anyway, we'll move on from there and we'll leave that thread and go to a new thread in the opiophile forum, subform the opiated life, subform the piss and moan in a thread started by Zoops entitled Zoops is fucked up in the game, homies and homegirls. And it goes like this. Hey y'all, I've been holding back for a couple of weeks because of an embarrassing situation. As many of you know, I, brackets, had been working at a grocery store as a cashier since about a month after I came home from a 28-month stint as a prisoner for the Virginia Department of Corrections. As many also are aware, I recently kicked Suboxone, brackets, and Zoloft with the quote-unquote help of synthetic cannabinoid blends I buy at a local tobacco shop. I mean, I didn't plan on it happening like that, even though it is good I'm completely opiate-free and not physically dependent at this moment. Just that the synthetic weed started getting more and more enjoyable for me, that I began doing it daily such that I needed about $18 a day to support my quote-unquote habit. Many people don't know that synthetic cannabinoids have a horrendous physical dependence associated with them that makes cold turkey heroin withdrawal seem like a nice summer nap by the pool. I found out after smoking this stuff for about six weeks daily that if I didn't wake up and take a hit stat, I began sweating profusely, followed by projectile, cough-like vomiting, shaking, and feeling generally like I'm coming down off a heavy hit of acid. Brackets, that distorted feeling you get the next afternoon when it's all sunny outside and you're not really tripping anymore but not completely back to baseline either. Not a good feeling. So anyways, like I said, I need $18 a day to make sure I have enough K2 to smoke. With my part-time hours, I don't make $18 a day, but I do handle thousands of dollars in cash. Figure it out. If I'm working an eight-hour shift behind the cash register, and I know that when I go home I'm going to be sick as a motherfucker, if I don't get some K2 to smoke, then one or maybe two of those 20 notes is going to end up in my pocket. So I began doing that for a while. Not every time I worked, but like half the time. Then I started shortchanging people. Like a lot of the day laborers and stuff come into the store on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night, they will buy a 99-cent pack of gum and pay for it with a $100 bill. I mean, you got to take $5 on GP if they do that, right? GP stands for general principle. And most of these folks are so stupid they don't even notice that a dollar or two or five is missing from their change. But a couple of times people came back and said, quote unquote, hey, you shortchanged me. I'd pay them back and hope that my boss didn't see. 
So that approach didn't work very well either, but I started to feel extremely fucked up overdoing that stealing and shortchanging stuff just to buy K2 with the money. I mean, feeling like a total piece of worthless shit. Not to mention being scared out of my wits about getting busted by the police for stealing money from work. I've seen two different employees get let out of the store in handcuffs since I've been working there, and countless other shoplifters get arrested for stealing merchandise while I've been working there. So I was paranoid as shit every time I'd go in for a shift. I'd be scared shitless that there'd be a cop waiting for me when I clocked in. Brackets. Keep in mind, I have a history of getting busted for stealing from employers. Pharmacists also. I mean, I had to be coming up short on my till about half the time I worked. But the thing is, with the accounting in most grocery stores, they use coupons just like cash. If someone's till is short by like $8, they just quote-unquote cash out $8 in coupons and apply that to the till. So that's why I got away with it for so long. And also, they have it such that many different people will log into a register with the same till throughout the day, and if they haven't been auditing that cash throughout the day, they have no idea when the discrepancy arose. That's what I had working in my favor, and that allowed me to get away with it for so long. But eventually, I fucking freaked out and called in saying, quote-unquote, I quit. This was one of the most monumentally stupid things I've ever done. No, I don't even have a 20-hour-a-week, $8.50 an hour job. So now I've been staying on Craigslist for the past three weeks or so, gone on about five interviews, applied for maybe 15 jobs in restaurants and around the area. Thing is, I got a fucked up work history. Before coming home from prison, I was working at a U.S. patent and trademark office as a patent examiner, making bank brackets, trust me, like well over two stacks a week. And before that, I was a pharmacist, for God's sake. Got two BS degrees, one in biochemistry, the other in pharmacy. One guy I went to apply for a cashier job at a sandwich shop about the same age as me said, quote unquote, hey, I don't care about your criminal record, but I just think you're going to come to me six months down the road and say, I got a better job. I don't think that's going to happen. I tried for about a year to find somewhere I could do the 160-hour internship to get my pharmacist license back, but no dice. All the students seem to take up the intern spots. I just, quote-unquote, friended an old drug buddy from pharmacy school on FB. He's been working as a pharmacist for 17 years, almost halfway through his career. I plan on begging him if he can manage to find some way to let me intern at his pharmacy. Brackets, he is the manager. This is the only, brackets, other pharmacist I've ever done heroin with, so you get the picture. He might have straightened out by now. I haven't spoken to him since 1999. The other option is for me to get licensed as a patent agent, but I can't even take the examination until I've been off papers for two years. That'll be this December 18th, inshallah. Then I have to wait until 18th December 2016 to apply. I could make some good money with the patent agent's credentials. Been doing odd jobs at the church parish where I claim to be a member, brackets painting, cleaning, gutter work, for a bit of extra money. Only got $10 today because I was owed the reverend 10 already, and I worked for two hours at $10 an hour. So I'm fucked up in the game, homies and homets. Anybody got a job for an extremely overqualified, drug-addicted ex-pharmacist? Oh, and the all-important K2 supply is dwindling down to about 7 grams today. That's about three and a half day supply. Two grams a day keeps me good. Got a check from Ma Dukes for $120 come maybe next Tuesday. And Sand and Water writes, First off, I am so sorry you're having to endure that kind of hell. I had no idea synthetics can do that, so I hope you find a way to taper or whatever you need to do to keep yourself well. Are there any temp services in your area like Manpower or Kelly you could apply to? Given that you're an opiate free, it seems like you'd have no problem passing a P-test, and back in the day, all I needed was two decent references. It got my foot in the door in a lot of places. Everything from manufacturing to secretarial jobs, and I was eventually hired on permanently at a local university. The downside was there was no benefits. Brackets, I don't know how it is now. But the upside was I always made more money per hour than regular employees. Good luck. And 
Der Alte Krieger writes, I smoked Spice slash K2 for about two years and was thoroughly strung out on the shit. IME, the WD was brutal but brief. YMMV. And King of Nothing writes, Zoops, we have never spoken, but you are one of my favorite posters here. Please don't take this the wrong way, but you are able to find an almost childlike enthusiasm in the most mundane things, and I really appreciate slash envy that. I don't really have much to say, and I don't have any ideas for you, but I just wanted to let you know that I think things will work out for you. I think that someone is going to see who you are, regardless of who your work record and your criminal record say you are, and they are going to feel like they hit the lottery. Keep doing what you're doing, maybe minus the synthetic weed, and keep trying. And neighbor ads. I just can't believe the WDs from K2 are that extreme. I'd like to echo most of what Khan said. Depending on the type of job, of course, many employers will overlook any criminal record you have just because of your education. Soups, does tapering seem at all plausible with the K2? I'd always thought of it as weed light, but the stuff I'm hearing sounds more like synth weed hyphen hardcore hyphen addiction edition. And spaded, jaded, and faded writes. Dude, you have no fucking idea. The withdrawals can be absolutely insane. Tapering is the only way it can be done, IMO, but that is easier said than done. The psychological addiction is on par of, with that of crack. <laughs> Wait. The psychological addiction is on par with that of crack, the physical with that of heroin. It really is a whole new Pandora's box in the drug world. And Mama Kali writes, I'm a little confused. Straighten me out. There was that girl at the grocery store, Rachel, right? You were leaving the grocery store and we were all coming up with ways for you to give her your number. You had another job you were going to. Did that job fall through and you just stayed at the grocery store? And no, sweetheart. If someone buys a pack of gum with a $100 bill, you don't have to keep any of it for yourself. In fact, you're pretty obligated to give them all of their change. And Snoops writes, I'm confused about one aspect of the story. Not passing any judgment, by the by. I mean, come on, it's me. But you did a 28-month stretch for quote-unquote prescription fraud, right? And you did it twice, right? So how in the name of Zeus's butthole can you still be a pharmacist? Over here in California, any charges involving possession of a controlled substance preclude you from even pursuing such credentials, let alone work in the industry, brackets, even as a farm tech. Then again, I could be mistaken. I think I heard this info from a friend of mine who was going to pharmacy tech school a few years back. Maybe he was wrong. I've considered getting into being a pharmacy tech, but this bit of quote-unquote knowledge, brackets, which turns out could be false, has kept me from pursuing the job altogether. That and the fact that I'd be more likely than not fired slash arrested for pilfering pills. My mom was bitching the other day about how she always gets one of her 120-count Norco that is broken in half and the other half is missing. I told her that somewhere back behind the counter there's a savvy pharmacy tech breaking any and all C2s in half and more than likely comes down with quite a haul at work's end. I don't think many people are going to call and bitch, brackets, and if they do, not be taken seriously, about a half pill at the bottom of the bottle at the end of their script. It's got to be the oldest trick in the book. See, this is exactly why I couldn't do it. Look where my thought process leads me, just thinking about doing the shit for a living. And Zoops adds again, Yeah, I know I'm a scumbag. But I'm a 100% bona fide scumbag who would have stayed at the job and gotten thrown back in jail. I mean, the temptation was so great, I just had to get out of there. And the job at the restaurant that I spoke about a couple of months ago fell through. Outback Steakhouse has a very extensive online trading program for all waiters. It's just very fucking tedious. I couldn't finish it in the week's time that the guy gave me. <laughs> because I started doing it like four days into the week, assuming I'd be able to do it all very quickly, I was wrong about that. And the girl at the grocery store never came in again. 
Last time I saw her was back in June, Franny faced the Motocon. And in so far as the pharmacy thing is concerned, I've done some research on Virginia pharmacist license holders, brackets, it's all online, all the licensure records and shit, when people get in trouble and the documents are made public. And apparently there is a few pharmacists in VA who are convicted felons. One guy got felony DUI in Nevada, another committed immigration fraud, another coupon slash rebate fraud. There's a couple license holders I'm watching to see if they get their licenses reinstated. One of them got hemmed up for RX fraud, but I haven't been able to find any any records of a pharmacist in VA who has a felony RX fraud conviction. This kind of searching is slow going because I have to open up all the licensing records that have a star next to them for quote-unquote additional public information available and open the PDFs and read them. And Mama C, I expected to get some judgment from you, so I'm not surprised. Brackets being that your spouse is a police officer. I feel like a piece of shit for taking things, so I hope this elevates your opinion of me somewhat. I mean, I was scared of getting caught, but it also didn't help my own opinion of myself doing that kind of stuff. I just couldn't stand feeling like a scumbag all the time. And narc, imagine how paranoid I was going into work high on K2, scared I was going to get arrested when I clocked in. One time, when I was running the cash register, a cop walked into the store and right up to me from behind where I was standing and said, quote unquote, excuse me. I practically jumped out of my skin when he asked me, quote unquote, where is the loss prevention officer for the store? He called us about a shoplifter. And another time, while high, I actually helped the loss prevention, brackets the store, quote unquote, detective, guy apprehend a shoplifter and then accompany him to the back for questioning. I was standing there the whole time, brackets, they just let the guy go and take down his address. The company makes them pay back double the value, but they probably never get most of the money back. So yeah, the whole paranoia thing, sometimes you can be paranoid for a good reason, though. Like if you're doing some dirty stuff. That is the type of paranoia I experience. Going to Chili's today to see about a waiter job. And we'll go from that thread to a new thread in the in the opiophile forum, subform opiates slash opioids, subform heroin, in a thread started by Opiophilos, entitled Junkie Tales. And it goes like this. Many people here have expressed interest in reading old stories and anecdotes, which myself and others have posted in different threads previously as well as in the future. Recently, someone even suggested a thread devoted exclusively to telling these types of stories, and at first I thought it wouldn't be practical because I only remember these stories when responding to a specific thread. I don't keep a journal of them. Then I thought that a thread could be created where people post their stories even if they post them in another thread, regardless of there being any particular subject that ties them together here. If enough people are interested in establishing a thread, I would be willing to go through some of my posts and copying those stories and anecdotes here so that they would be one place where people could go to just read these types of stories purely for their entertainment value, we could post duplicates of things we have written in response to particular threads so that people could read them even if they don't have to come across the original thread where we first post them. And also place any that we think of from this point on. So, how many are interested? If a number of you respond positively, I will start copying some of the stories in my previous posts as well as duplicating any that I remember and place in future posts. Syringe emoticon, sunglasses, indifferent emoticon, what's this emoticon called? And radioactive underscore man writes. Here's one of my favorite stories from the Where Do You Shit thread. In my opinion, it's up there with the Angry Hornet story. Wow, I never even considered voluntarily putting myself into withdrawal so I could go poo-poo. The thought had never crossed my mind. However, an interesting anecdote that just occurred to me. This person I knew had a hard time copping one day in sunny Philadelphia. On his way back to check out a spot he hadn't been to in a while, his stomach started gurgling and making rumbling noises, which caused him to pause for a moment. Upon stopping along the row house line street, he recalled his sphincter started to quiver uncontrollably in an unusual fashion. Instinctively, knowing what was going to happen very soon, he looked for the safest spot to cut loose. Now, mind you, he had not gone poo-poo for an unhealthy five to six days from being on a major run, which made him extremely anxious about the turbulence that was going to blow out of his withered brown eye. 
The most convenient place available only allowed him to crouch behind a set of concrete stairs that only blocked him partially from the main roadway. As soon as he dropped his bridges, the most violent projectile shit splattered all over the sidewalk that had a viscosity of a very dark chocolate milk laced with tightly knit balls of shit. The stench was overwhelmingly horrendous. In his panic, he had forgotten to procure some material to wipe the froth off his bunghole. He reluctantly tore his underwear off and wiped the sludge hole. <laughs> Fuck. And quickly wiped his sludge hole. As he finished, he attempted to stand and pull his pantalones up at the same time. He was overjoyed that this coordinated effort happened to work out when it did, because as fate would have it, one of Philly's finest rolled by at that exact moment, and both officers made eye contact with my friend's guilty but relieved face. The patrol car backed up and quickly approached him, leaving him little time to think of an excuse for being in that position. The large black male officer did his interrogation vigorously, trying to detect some sort of deception as to what transpired on the side of those unfortunate steps. My friend said he had gotten sick and threw up on top of someone else's shit. However, the officer was suspicious to the underwear draped over his steamy spatter. His partner, a pretty white lady, curiously started to walk over and investigate the scene of the crime herself. The officer repeated my friend's story to her and his indecisive as to whether it was shit or puke. Upon further investigation, they unanimously decided it was shit that he puked on and asked my friend to clean it up. My friend started to protest and replied he didn't believe it was fair to have to clean up someone else's shit just because he had puked on it. The officer promptly responded by telling him if you'd like to spend some time down at 26 Precincts. So, as expected, he found a stiff piece of cardboard and reluctantly scraped it up. But in the process, the god-awful smell actually did make him puke his guts out. I never laughed so hard in my life. Talk about self-fulfilling prophecy. And Count Zero adds, I hate rewriting the same story over again. So I worked as an auditor in the international division of an unnamed big pharma, brackets named Pfizer, in the late 80s. I was kind of slash sort of but not that bad strung out on NYECP, which stands for East Coast Powder, which is the powdered variety of heroin versus the West Coast, which has the black tar variety. NYECP in general. When I got the word I was going to Pakistan, I knew what the fuck I was going to do, as you can imagine. There is so much to this story. Brackets. The guy who took us around ended up being convicted of embezzlement. He was one of those Muslims who always had a bottle of scotch and went to visit two Filipino sisters every year. But cut to the chase. Me and my fellow auditor buddy got a horse cart driven by Molly and Charlie, brackets the horse, as soon as we got to Karachi. They were funny, lovable, and greedy, so we immediately scored some A number one seven exclamation points hash from him. And then I, surreptitiously, brackets, ha 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 ha, on the side asked for dope, and Molly came through later, like a day or two later. Dude did not want to sell me dope, but I forced the issue by offering him an outrageous amount of money, brackets, which wasn't much by our standards. The dope was sort of green and smelled like plant material, but def worked. So I get the dope, I have four to five weeks in packy, and I was on it the whole time. I was doing that dope morning, noon, and night, mainly snorting, smoking, and dumping some in my, brackets, excellent best ever tea. So I go to Karachi, brackets where I scored, Lahore, Islamabad, etc., etc., and Peshawar, near the Khyber Pass, where you can buy any type of gun or tank or W slash E. It's a DAK supermarket. Interesting place. Only place I've ever fired a full auto machine gun. So I'm there five weeks and I get strung to the fucking gills and have to get on a plane and go home. Wisely, brackets in retrospect, I do not being any dope with me as the huge threatening packy customs agent grabs my balls and squeezes them as hard as it can be imagined. If I had any dope on me, I'm sure I would have just handed it over and spent the rest of my life in a packy prison. That was actually the second time I got my balls squeezed that night. The other was in a park across the street from our Holiday Inn where me and my buddy are frantically trying to smoke all our hash before we leave and this teenage male whore came out of the trees and squeezed my balls. 
Fucking hell, that threw me for a loop. And then the big security guy. I felt my rack was under attack. But wait, the real fun hadn't started yet. The flight was delayed 24 hours in Nice due to weather, and I went into sort of serious WDs. Not hellacious, because I was only a few months habit, but on a plane, everything seems hellacious. There was an MD nearby, and I had some Pachyvalium, but damn, that took some willpower. I had to hold it together, but everyone near me knew something was up. I was not in good shape, and that was very obvious to everyone around me. Some sweet girls who are on a textile buying mission to India tried to take care of me, but I had to tell them to go away. What could they possibly do? TLDR, try not to go into WDs on international plane flights. It sucks. Edit. Story inspired by Opophilia's post, old shit, but here's one that was real at the time. And Oxyblowball2 writes... This isn't too great. More so just some weird situation from high school. I used to get coke off this guy in the next town over from mine. Never learned his name, so he was just known as quote-unquote cell phone man. He would always call at weird times of the night asking if I needed anything. So one night I'm at a party, and it's about 1 a.m. and I get a phone call from him. I had never been inside his apartment before, just the driveway. I get there and he tells me to come inside. He was sweating profusely and had been smoking crack all night. He had a glass table with a bunch of coke on it and also a pile of some brown stuff, which I found out was heroin. He was kind of an intimidating dude and after doing some lines of coke, he told me to do a line of heroin. I had done plenty of Oxycontin, so I was used to opiates, just never had seen it before. He started to get more and more demanding about me doing it, so finally I said fuck it and did a decent line. He started laughing, took a hit of crack and told me to buckle up. It was a pretty rad time. <laughs> it was a pretty rad time besides dealing with a scary cracked out dude who had a gun sitting in plain view next to his TV. Also had plenty of different types of stereo equipment in his apartment. I know the story isn't as good as the others, but when I told my friends what happened, they thought WTF as well. The last time I heard from him was in 2005 when his partner disappeared with a lot of people's money. The three other people in the room with me also knew of him got phone calls one right after the other. Guy was fucked. And Dizzle writes, I've got a few. Well, more than a few. I'll start out with a decent one. It's Christmas Eve and 10 p.m. I'm getting sick as fuck. I tell the GF I'm going to drop off my mom's car, brackets which had to be done, and I head out west. Can't get any of my normal guys, so it's cold copping for me. And I'm driving an Audi A4. I pull up on these guys and they're like, yeah, we got D, sure, bro. So there's this like weird camper thing just sitting there next to a couple of abandoned properties. And there's people mulling around one side of it. And one dude goes, quote unquote, how many? I say five. He tries to give me three tinfoils. I open them up and they're fucking flour. So I kept my money in my hand. Fuck him. I'm like, okay, that was flour. Do you have dope or not? Some other dude is like, quote unquote, over there. He points to the back of the camper. It looked like there was a line and people were getting served through the shitty little side window in the back of it. You know, the one that slides open and it's about the size of a slot of a bank drive through like 12 inches by four inches. Anyway, I say I want five. I get in line and everyone just moves out of the way and lets me go to the front. I figure it's another ripoff. So I get two, open up and it's dope. Thank God. I give him my $20 and go to leave. Dickhead who tried to give me flour meets me at my car. I'm closing the door and have it in drive. His girl reaches in and tries to turn off the car, but it's in drive so she can't key off. Her man pulls a knife. They want the other 30 they know I have since I only spent 20. At first I tried to fight them off, but then I thought, wait a second. I throw the car in reverse and gun it. Dude and bitch both start yelling. The door drags dude about 10 feet. Chick was smart enough to step back when she saw me put it in reverse and hit it. 
I've got a bunch of bums chasing the car now. I'm in reverse, I whip it and do a shitty form of what you see in a movie when they do a 180 in the car and take off going in the same direction, but now in forward instead of reverse. Does that make sense? Anyway, that was an Xmas night to remember. I got well and barely had a cut on my hand. I bet dude was fucked up though. I dragged him a good 10 feet. For any police reading this, this happened well before 2005 when the hit and run statute was removed in Illinois. So don't worry, I'm long past the three years it was prior to that. And Sick Boy adds, This is when I was 18 and hadn't used any quote-unquote real hard drugs yet. It was St. Patrick's Day and I didn't really plan on doing anything when I woke up that morning. My friend texted me asking if I wanted to come to the park and smoke weed, drink, do Chris. I asked what he meant by Chris and he said Crystal. Me and my friend had known each other a good three years. We met freshman year in high school and did lots of drugs together and other stupid shit. But like I said, I hadn't done meth or heroin yet. We had been discussing smoking it for a long time, but I was still surprised when he told me he had been smoking for a few days already and asked if I wanted to try it. I'll admit I readily agreed because I loved amphetamines, so I had to try this. So we meet at the park and go into one of the bathrooms. He quickly takes out his pipe and starts packing a bowl. He hits it, and I'm so anxious and curious. And then he hands me the pipe and shows me how to twist it and when to start hitting. I do a hit and instantly feel a rush in my legs and a calming effect. I feel better and want to hit it. So we finish the bowl and hear footsteps outside the bathroom door. That continues to five minutes at least. And we finally get out, and there was nobody outside. Weird, but then we went immediately to his dealer so I could buy a bag and some ecstasy, and thus an addiction was born. I eventually went on a three-day tweak that first time. Me and that friend parted ways, of course. We both ended up doing heroin as well, and were both turned on to it by this weird dealer who ended up in prison for rape. Me and that first friend ended up smoking a lot of meth for about six months, and he accused me of trying to have him robbed by some tweaker friend of mine. He was a bit of a shady character, my friend. I often wondered what became of him. Hope that made sense. I'm stoned with no tolerance. Grinning emoticon. And fear ads. So one fine morning in the city where Kerouac drank himself to death, I found myself sick. So I did whatever resourceful junkie would do in my shoes. I called my dealer. However, my dealer didn't pick up the phone. His crack-addled roommate did. They shared the smallest efficiency apartment together, and it was a marriage of convenience. The crackhead roommate got to live there rent-free, but he had to go to the same PM clinic, pain management clinic, as my dealer, and my dealer got to keep all the proceeds of his PM visits. So my roommate tells me that he's on the south side, but if I pick him up and take him back to the apartment, he can get me sorted. I told him I'd be right over. I pick up the roommate, who happens to be cracked the fuck out at this point. The Florida heat combined with a nice rock cocaine habit tends to lead to some foul body odor situations. I think I used about a full bottle of Febreze on my truck upholstery once I got home that day. I listened to him ramble on about how he had gotten head from a girl with no teeth the evening before as we drove back to his apartment. I nodded in approval. I just wanted my fucking pills, man. We walked up the fire escape to the apartment, brackets, it was in the attic and wasn't exactly legal. And we walked in the door, there was Roach, brackets, my dealer, slumped over, needle hanging out of his arm with his hand in his shoe. His roommate started laughing, quote unquote, that's a good nod he done caught there. He chuckled as he went to find my pills. I was petrified. I couldn't tell if he was dead or alive. The roommate assured me he was alive and went to retrieve the small mirror to place under his nose. Once the condensation from his shallow breathing appeared, he said, quote unquote, see, he's fine. This happens all the time. Now, where'd those pills go? He started ransacking the tiny place, then stopped and looked at Roach, and it was like a light bulb went off. 
He reached down and lifted Roach's limp arm out of the shoe and put his hand inside. He smiled as he hit pay dirt. Turns out Roach's hand was in the shoe for a good reason. The roommate broke me off what I came for and even threw me an extra one for picking him up. I noticed he put the money in his own pocket. I had a feeling it was never going to make it to Roach. But what the fuck did I care? I had my pills. The sad epilogue to that story is that Roach was all over the news a couple of weeks later as he had beat the shit and mugged a priest that was walking through a well-known drug park on his way back to the monastery one night. This brought all kinds of unwanted heat to the park and the rumor around town was that he had angered a couple of the locals so badly that they invited Roach up to a room at the Kelly Hotel and fixed him a hot shot. He was the first person I knew that died from using. And finally, we'll move from that thread to a new thread in the opiophile.com forum, subform the opiated life, subform experiences and observations slash alternative interpretation, in a thread started by Miss Brownstone entitled, Does Looking at Facebook Make You Want to Kill Yourself? And it goes like this. Okay, I don't mean that literally, but does looking at Facebook make you feel like shit? It can have a profoundly depressing effect on me. 98% of the time, I can come away from it feeling incredibly inadequate, like everyone else grew up finished school, got married, had babies, bought houses, go on vacation, brackets vacation, what's that? All I know are dope vacations. And I'm still living the life of a junkie, living paycheck to paycheck with nothing to show for myself or all the hard work I've done over the years. Even all the degenerates who used to party harder slash stupider than me have gotten their shit together. I usually only go on it once or twice a week. I'd stop altogether except as much as I've isolated myself, it's the only way I can keep tabs on how some family and friends are doing. Sometimes I just want to delete my account and never return. Am I alone in this? And G-Train adds, I got rid of mine and haven't looked back. Granted, I did it for other reasons, but you won't miss it after a while. There were too many years of my life and pictures, etc. for someone else to own access to. And Lone Ranger 7 adds, I don't have a Facebook either. Never have. I still have feelings of inadequacy in real life, but fuck Facebook. And Tato Chip writes, For all the good that people get out of Facebook, there's like five times more bad. And Freakazoid adds, It pisses me off greatly. I'm friends with all these shitheads I went to HS with, and they are all friends with dipshit, brackets, ex-husband. He blocked me. I feel like a loser. I don't know what he is telling people, and I don't want to know. Probably that I am a crazy alcoholic drug addict and I ruined his peace of mind. I'm infertile and didn't provide any kids or grandkids. He is definitely playing the martyr. That I am sure of. They are all set to acquaintances, but it bugs me. I think I am going to unfriend a bunch of them. Fuck them. I am sick of looking at pictures of their stupid kids. I think all I want to be friends with are family, people in recovery, and addicts and alcoholics. Then I can say whatever the fuck I want to. Yeah, I'm bitter. Only when I look at the stupid shit, though. And Spada Jaded and Faded writes, You are absolutely not alone. I cannot stand anything about Facebook. Pisses me off even thinking about it. Quote unquote, Hey, let's go advertise every little detail of my perfect little fucking Brady Bunch live online for everyone and their mothers to see. Ugh, don't even get me started. Not worth getting all worked up over. Woosah, Spada, woosah. Mother fuck Facebook. And Fat Pie adds, Don't have a Facebook, don't want one. Problem solved. You're wasting your time comparing yourself to others. You aren't them, and they aren't you. And neighbor adds, I know exactly how you feel, but do you think that is depressing? Imagine yourself getting overly intoxicated one fine evening on a combination of different wonderful downers, only to awake the next day sometime around 4 p.m. with a very convincing case of amnesia, as in, like, not any of those singular momentary flashes of remembrance you can usually squeak us out. And through emails and web history, you come to find you've signed up not only for Match.com, but also JDate and BlackPeopleMeet.com. The profiles all varyingly significant in detail. 
and I actually continue to browse all three now and then just to see who I've been matched with, gotten winks from, etc. And you thought just checking Facebook was depressing. I remember when I did, too. And Tato Chip replies, Facebook makes people think that every aspect of their life is important enough to be shared with friends, family, even strangers. Who gives a fuck that you are outside raking leaves or how many hard-boiled eggs you just ate? And Candy replies, it doesn't do anything for me anymore. I change my pics up and shit like that just for the effect, but it's mainly about staying in touch with people from the site, some friends I have made, and a few moments of entertainment. I get sick of the damn constant sayings. I have friends who spend all day putting up these frilly little sayings about life or love, whatever the fuck they want to convey, and it just gets tiring the same shit. I don't give a shit if you are getting a fucking coffee at Starbucks, nor do I have to see some plate of food you just ordered and are so wowed by it. I am not a pet owner and completely by choice. I am not someone who does well with pets and that is okay but there is some people who overdo it with a constant posting about their pets or something pet related i have trimmed down my friends list no one here thankfully that's my bitch about facebook and i want to be sedated ads i'm definitely in the minority here but i love facebook it's a great way to keep in touch with people or just use fb messenger to talk to people I prefer it over texting sometimes even. I love following comedy pages, news, beauty slash fashion blogs, and all the funny things that my friends post. I love to post pictures, funny anecdotes about my life, or just random stuff. But no, I don't ever, if rarely get any bad feelings from looking at things old friends post. Maybe when I'm older and more of my friends are getting married slash pregnant slash advancing in their lives, it could get annoying. But for now, I'm happy for most of them. All the baby pictures do get annoying, though. So do the people that feel the need to post about their sobriety constantly. That bugs the crap out of me. And Big Gavelli writes, The only thing I post on Facebook is gangster-ass rap lyrics. Okay, well, I think that's enough from Obiophile.com this time. What do you think? If you'll recall the last time I read from this forum, I feel like the uh, opinion at Opiophile of the podcast was split 50-50 about half the people enjoying it for, you know, the entertainment value and seeing it for what it was and half the people hating it and thinking I was just poking fun at them and uh, sparked quite a lively debate on the forums. What did you think? How many of you are jonesing right now? Is this podcast helping you get through your withdrawals. In reading this, I actually went back and watched some of the documentaries I have watched about heroin in the past. Just uh, when HBO had its Black Tar Heroin movie, and holy moly, is that a bleak movie. Yeah, it's pretty (laughs) pretty dark. As I may have mentioned in the earlier episode, I have had friends who have used heroin, and a couple of them have lost themselves to it for a couple of years before sort of disappearing and coming back clean somewhere else and most of them have stayed clean thankfully for them of course it's always the individual's choice whether to get clean or not and they have to decide when they are ready and i think you can see where opiophile comes in as a good resource for people who are in that lifestyle or want to know about you know it's a safe place for people to come and talk about their uh, issues within the scene without being judged harshly by the outside world that doesn't mean it's also not a echo chamber for people who just want to hear what they want to hear about doing heroin but overall i'd say its mission to do harm reduction is well achieved but yeah i will say that heroin is one of those drugs that you know i'm one of those people who like the warning the anecdotal evidence and the warnings of what it does to you have been enough for me where i've been like oh yes i will do this become addicted and 
ruined my life, <laughs> just like with cocaine or any drug that I know has a high potential for addiction. I know that there are some people that have heard that all their lives and just go, you know what, that sounds great, I'm going to try it. And, you know, some people can walk away and some people can't. But it's always fascinating to me either way. I may have mentioned before the De Quincey Jinxie blog spot I used to follow that I learned about from uh, Something Awful's Crackhead Clubhouse, which was like a East Coast heroin stamp bags review site. It was just like, you know, a person who was a quote-unquote former junkie would post uh, photos of East Coast powders, glassine stamp bags, and the art, and then people would also send them in, would review the quality. So it would say, like, Saddam Hussein branded bags are in Patterson, New Jersey, and the quality is an eight, and it's the fire, or it's garbage now, barely kept me from feeling sick, that kind of stuff. And I really enjoyed it. I would check it all the time. I'm fascinated by the people who make the stamps. That has to be such a labor-intensive process of making a stamp that says 9-11 or whatever, Target, whatever, and then having someone stamp all those little bags before you put all the heroin, or maybe after. I think you have to do it before, I would think. But I'd be interested in the process. Now I just got to switch it up, you know, because it's like the drug dealer's brand. So like last week it was eight ball and this week it's uh, dead on arrival, those kind of things. But unfortunately, the person who ran that site was actually apparently murdered in a suspicious house fire. And the assumption is that they were actually dealing to support their habit. A real bummer. But luckily the site is being kept going by someone else. But it's kind of like a, whoa, life is too real when you find out that kind of weird thing. A stranger on the internet dies, but I enjoyed their work, so anyway. I'll add that the dealing speculation is purely speculation. I have no backing of that. It's just one person's opinion in the posting about them dying. Someone suggested that. I have no basis in reality of whether or not that is true. It is unfortunate regardless. In Lou Reed's news, still have magnets. I've sent out a bunch of magnets today, including one to Scotland and one to Utah, all over the globe. Remember, if you want a magnet, just send me your mailing address to loureads at gmail.com. I get a lot of emails there saying, what do I need to do to get a magnet? All you got to do is send me your address. And in other news, I applied to be in the New York City PodFest. I did not get in the first round, but I'm the first alternate, and I was told there's a good chance that someone might drop out. So if that happens, fantastic. Besides that, not a whole bunch else is new. If you wanted to know how Korea was, I really enjoyed Korea. The food was amazing and the people were very friendly and the hotel I stayed at was crazy and fancy. Although, I don't know if any of you have ever had to pay $44 to use the gym at a hotel, but that is how much it was at this hotel I stayed at. And I was surprised. I still use the gym twice. <laughs> but if you've been following me on Facebook or Twitter, you realize that my sleep schedule has been totally destroyed by my five weeks of uh, trying to work on a Korean schedule, four weeks not in Korea and 10 days in Korea. I was basically working graveyard shift, but also trying to live a normal life with kids. So it doesn't really work very well, but I'm almost back to normal. Other than that, not a whole lot is new. All right, I think that's going to do it. So once again, this has been Lou Reads the Internet Revisiting Opiophile Edition. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.